I'd like to begin today by sharing a vivid memory, since we're talking about boats on water today. A memory that our family shares from 1997. We were living in St. Petersburg, Russia. And uh, St. Pete's on the Baltic. It's a seaport city of about 5 million. And I was teaching English and representing Jesus to a couple of universities there. And one day one of my friends, student friends, uh, in the spring, the ice had gone off of the Baltic and, and the wind was brisk. And he said, would you like to come and uh, go on a yacht uh, with me and my friends. It was, he wanted to invite us to the St. Petersburg Yacht Club. And we're thinking, yeah, never been to a yacht club. I'd like to do this. So we, we got ready. The day arrived, and we show up, and they drive us to the yacht club. <laughs> it, was, it was a marina that was mostly a boat graveyard. There were boats and parts of boats just laying in the grass and all over the place. And suddenly my confidence in this adventure uh, dropped a little bit. We did get on the boat. We got out there on the Baltic, and it's windy, and there's lots of waves. And the captain suggests we all sit together on, on the stern which with this design of the boat was kind of up in the air. And there was a thin steel cable that went around, I don't know, five or six very spindly looking supports. And we were relying on that to keep us from falling into the sea. And that was an interesting morning. We were quite pleased to finally get back on land. <laughs> all of us still there. I'm sure that the idea of wanting to get back on land was firmly in the hearts of the disciples. That day on the, the Sea of Galilee. Today we'll be looking closely at the account of Jesus calming the storm on the sea. It's from as John mentioned, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The significance of this astounding lesson that Jesus taught his disciples should rank, should rank it among the favorite passages throughout Christian history. I hope that by the time we finish today, it'll be one of your favorites and that you will apply its lesson to your own heart. Father, John already prayed that you would use this message. I just want to agree with him and say we are totally dependent on you. Uh, we need your wisdom, your discernment, and we thank you, Lord, that you left this account for us to be able to uh, think about and, and learn from. We ask that you would plant this firmly in our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. What happened that night <clears throat> began with a day full of crowds and teaching and ministry at the lake shore. At some point, Jesus decided it had been enough and it was time to exit the beachfront. 
the 12 and others in other boats listened to Jesus. Remember, the most common profession among the 12 was to be a fisherman, a commercial fisherman. These guys were used to being on the Sea of Galilee in all kinds of weather, in daylight and in darkness. They knew how to read the skies and they knew how to handle boats. These are the guys you want to be with in a storm, right? People with experience. But this time even they were afraid. They were afraid that they were going to die. But this was no ordinary storm. And they were about to find out that Jesus was no ordinary rabbi. The realization of what Jesus had just done resulted in a literal fear of him. What did he do? Let's read the passage. Mark 4, 35 through 41. This is not the first time most of you are hearing this. But it's worth hearing again. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Literal fear. The realization of what Jesus had done resulted in a literal fear of him. This was clearly a I thought I knew you moment. They were obviously thinking this is not normal. This is good. He saved our lives, but something's not right here. He's definitely not normal. In the King James, it reads, what manner of man is this? Or in today's vernacular, who is this guy? Right? Which is most likely less of a question and more of a statement at that moment. This is no mere man that we are following They had to conclude among themselves. By this point in their walk with Jesus, they had witnessed him doing a lot of miracles. Maybe they had reached the point of believing that these, the miracles, are things that a man could do by the power of God. But this, 
You can't do this and just be a man. This was God's stuff. Of course, we're looking at this situation from this side of his resurrection, which also was God's stuff. Your friend who, by his own power, had risen from the dead. We have that advantage being on this side of the resurrection. He's certainly going to change our perspective when you see him out of the grave. We church-age believers can see that Jesus, Jesus is both man and God. The disciples, however, didn't have the New Testament. They were living it in real time. And they were discovering that this great teacher that they were following was way more than he had previously let on. It seems that by comparison, we've got it easy. We repent of our sins and decide to follow Jesus because we have believed. Then we learn to read our Bibles and listen to sermons and, and we get comfortable in thinking that we know Jesus. Even if we do truly love Jesus and genuinely try to follow him, we may be living life like a chocolate Easter bunny. A thin shell of Christianity that's sweet, but it doesn't go all the way through. Hmm. If we think that Jesus is only love and blessings, we can't represent the fullness of Christ to the world. If we don't accept that he is both the lion and the lamb, our witness of him is only half-truth. If we don't literally fear him as Lord over all creation, his creation, we don't rightly know him. If that's the case, we've badly misunderstood who we're following. He is returning to us as the Lion of Judah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Gentle and lowly is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Awesome in power and majesty and glory is the lion at his return. Check out Revelation 19, 11 through 16 later today. Because Jesus was slowly revealing the kingdom of God and his kingship, we can be sure that Jesus' idea to get in the boat and go to the other side wasn't a spur-of-the-moment idea designed to just facilitate a nap. I think he had decided that it was time for a great, big, terror-filled, we're-all-gonna-die kind of lesson. They saw Jesus for the first time as Lord of life, all life, even the inanimate life. This is one place where the statement of shock, oh my God, would have been completely appropriate. And by the way, don't use that phrase unless you're actually talking about your God. Don't use it as a flippant expression of surprise. 
Just don't. If you want, you can ask Jesus directly how he feels about it. See what he says. Brothers and sisters, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And with all our medical advances and understanding how our bodies work and how to diagnose problems and how to take corrective actions to save a life, science still cannot explain how the thousands of parts in our physical systems came to be at the same time so they can all function together from the movement from the moment of our conception. Working just as we were designed. You ever notice there's something about these waters that when you drink it, oh, it's satisfying. But then a few minutes later, you're really thirsty again, more than if you had had water from a faucet out of the garden hose. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird thing. Science still doesn't really understand how the molecules of our being became life. They keep trying. And they keep coming up empty and turning matter into life. But our creator knows. We see life, we try to understand life, we've actually made adjustments to life, but we don't understand the breath of life exhaling from God and igniting life within the dust of the earth. Formed it into a man. And then it wasn't just dirt. We can't explain what happened when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. If you want, if I hit a boring part in this message this morning, go back to Genesis 2 verse 7. He tells us what he did. Like the Camp Barakel wonder walks that Preston introduced to us, noted last week, we do well to allow ourselves to be wowed by God. Remember that God says that if we seek him, we will be f- he will be found by us when we seek with a whole heart. Hmm. Jeremiah 29, 13. When was the last time you said to God, maybe you've never said to God, show me yourself, Father. Can we see the Father? We can see him in the things he's made. Hmm. Show me the fingerprints that you left on and in everything you've made. Help me to see. Jesus was showing his disciples by the words of his mouth that he was master of his creation. What he speaks simply is. 
I remember quite a long time ago, there used to be a series of television advertisements. Some of you older folks may remember this too. For a stock brokerage company called E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. That was the fictitious situation, but it, it made for a memorable ad. What's real is that when Jesus speaks, everything listens. Every rock in the ground, every beast of the field, every creature beneath the waters, the birds of the air, the insects of the field, even the stars of the heaven, we are told, listen and obey. There is no created thing that is outside of his control. Praise God. Sadly, because of rebellion, it seems that the only mankind refuses to listen to the voice of his creator and steadfastly refuses to obey. We were like that. Sometimes we still are. But here we are, the church, redeemed of all creation, the bride of Christ. You've heard his voice and you've listened. Peter told us that we're to humble ourselves. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. This creator God who certainly has a lot on his mind, he cares for you? For me? Honestly, it's not like I haven't heard that before, but every time I think about it, it's just astounding. He cares for us, and he wants us to be with him. In the end, it'll be the words of Jesus again that will calm the chaos and return creation to its original perfection. Revelation describes the judgment of God on his ancient enemy, that judgment being the word pictured as a sword coming out of his mouth that will destroy the armies of Satan and bind him in chains for a thousand years before his then certain doom. We win, brothers and sisters. But that's still to come. We still have to negotiate life. So now let's go back to the freshwater lake in Galilee. At the beginning of this account, verse 37 again, I think the church has always been encouraged by this account because it's so easy to draw a parallel between the very real storm on the sea and the storms of life that we all experience. Even though it's a well-worn path, it's still worth looking at and taking encouragement from. Verse 37. Hmm. 
And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already feeling. Filling. <laughs> but he was in the stern, asleep. And they woke him and said, and he stands up, peace. Be still. Have you ever had him do that in your life? You ever been all torn up about something? And then you remember Jesus. And his words come back to you, peace, be still. Remember, Jesus' disciples were all in with their rabbi's teaching. Wherever Jesus has been, they've been there seeing it all happen. The crowds are so spiritually hungry and so are his disciples. Man, they're just eating it up. Because it's truth. But with all the day's teaching and ministering and probably healing, they were all tired. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So they left the crowd, which must have been a relief, and got into the boat. Now, you might think that at the seashore, there's more than one boat. And there were. Other people got in those boats. The clever ones, quick enough to react, maybe the ones that were in the front of the crowd, saw Jesus getting into a boat. And they're like, there's some more boats here. And they got in too. And away they went. We don't hear about them again. But I thought about that later. Yeah, I thought now. There is a difference between wanting to go where Jesus is going and wanting to be with Jesus wherever he goes. Wanting to be with Jesus wherever he goes. Is that part of your life? Or are you expecting him to go with you? It's a question about whether we're living life according to our agenda or if we really are trying to listen and follow Jesus. Which idea represents you this morning? As a follower of Jesus, which boat did you get in? The one with him or the other ones? Now it's time for a surprise science lesson. How does a storm happen? There are three basic ingredients needed for a thunderstorm. Moisture, an unstable atmosphere, and some way to start the atmosphere moving. Movement can be caused by a couple things. Two things for this illustration. Gravity's effect on water vapor and uneven heating energy. Heating will cause the air molecules to rise and become less dense, and cooling will cause the molecules 
to become more dense in fall? Think of it like this. Hot and cold don't like each other. And when they're in a vapor cloud and they're forced together, they tend to fight. With lots of movement and energy, we look up and we see dark clouds full of moisture. We feel the wind moving and we say, hmm, looks like there's a storm coming. Now, I said all that because of this. They're just the physical laws of nature, right? Physical laws doing what they do when circumstances are right. We like to leave it at that most of the time. But there is an underlying question that is rarely asked. And Christians who are willing to ask the how questions, you receive a blessing from God. Sometimes he shows us how. How did the physical laws of nature come to be? Did the family of Adam vote on them way back in the beginning? Was there a committee that did a study to determine which physical dynamics would work together well and organizing them into groups and then declaring them to be laws? Did the laws that govern our physical reality simply evolve from trial and error? I'm sorry, in my mind, that's the most ridiculous of the three examples. Hmm. How did the laws of nature come to be? Some people will not like me saying this next sentence out loud because it sounds naively simplistic. But it's true. There are profound truths that are pretty simple. The laws of nature were God's ideas. It is not a popular conclusion in our culture today. He put them to work throughout the universe. He made them to interact in precise ways, the laws of thermodynamics and the laws of gravity, which, by the way, we also don't understand completely. Gravity. The laws of astrophysics and the laws of light, they work together. He left evidence of a designer from the parts of an atom to the movements of solar systems. From the mysteries of quantum physics to the workings of our own physiology. We struggle to comprehend even the parts, but our Creator designed them all, produced them all, and sustains them all. It's not a thing of the past. He's still in the midst of all of it. Praise God? It's okay to say praise God. Some have said, He's just too far beyond us to understand way too far beyond our comprehension. Yes, that is absolutely true. But it's also true that he's too magnificent, too spectacular, too awesomely wonderful to cast aside as unknowable. Of course, we'll not know him completely. But he does say, if you seek me, you'll be found by me. John 1 
1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is Jesus, creator, sustainer Jesus, who humbled himself and came into the world utterly helpless, and not just bound in swaddling clothes, but bound in mortal flesh. This is Jesus, who foreknew you, before even the spark of your life was kindled. I don't get that. I have to be satisfied knowing that Jesus is eternal. And he was as present now as he was then. He knows the end from the beginning. Somehow, seems like a pretty good guy to follow, don't you think? As amazing of all of his design is, his, his plan to redeem mankind to himself is the forever possession of his own is more amazing. Amazing because we did not deserve it. We don't deserve it. Grace. What a wonderful thing. We, the sons and daughters of Adam, were given a way back into relationship with our Creator. In the garden, Satan had successfully separated us from God. But God got a remnant of Adam and Eve back. It's amazing to think that one perfect strand of DNA has provided an uninterrupted link from the first man through us and until the last man. We're not as completely separate from all those that came before us as we think. We still carry the same DNA. Pretty amazing. The heart of man was quickly corrupted, but the human blueprint was protected up to and through the flood and human life, still linked to Adam, started over. Then in God's perfect timing, the only begotten Son of God was spliced into humanity. The Son of God became human flesh and dwelt among us. Wow. <laughs> Can't hardly wait to celebrate Christmas again. I say all of this is underlying and background information for what Jesus is about to do. Remember now, he's the king of kings, the high king of heaven, and he's building his kingdom. So now back to the boat in the midst of the stormy sea, there lays the son of God on a cushion at the back of a violently tossing boat, and he's asleep. That should have been a clue to his disciples, but they missed it. 
Who sleeps through a storm like that? Hmm. That should have been a clue. Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? The boat's been taking on water and we're going down. Have you ever made a similar accusation against Jesus? This storm is going to ruin my life. Don't you care? Seems like you're asleep and not hearing my prayers. We do that. Be good if we'd remember how much he cares for us. He's told us so many times. And he's met your need so many times. They really didn't know who they were talking to. He was their friend, their teacher. He was a stunning preacher. The former carpenter was a prophet and a miracle worker. All of that they knew. What they didn't know was that he designed and made grow the trees that had become the boat they were in. They didn't know that one part hydrogen and two parts oxygen. Is that right? H2O. No, one part hydrogen, two parts oxygen. John, it's the other way around. I didn't know it either. (laughs) It was his idea. He had made the water molecules that were splashing into their boat. He made them. They didn't know that he ordered the laws of physics and that he was Lord of all of it. Still is. So Jesus teaches them a new lesson on what it means to follow him. He gets up and he speaks. I don't know. In your imagination, did he yell at the wind? Or was it just quiet? Peace. He speaks peace to the wind. And the wind obeys him. Wow. He speaks to the water. Be still. His disciples are stunned. It's suddenly as calm as a windless sunrise. Eventually, they talk to each other saying, who then is this that the wind and the sea obey? I can just hear Peter whispering, he's right here, guys. He can hear what we're saying. Okay, he probably didn't say that. But I do wonder if this event was in Peter's mind when later he trusted Jesus enough to get out of the boat and walk, however briefly, on the water with Jesus. So let's deal now with verse 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Really? Come on, you guys. I added that last part. Why are you still afraid? So afraid. It's as if he was saying, you already saw me turn water into wine. Who does that? 
You already have seen my authority over evil spirits. You've seen my authority over sickness like when I healed Peter's mother-in-law. And when I healed the man with leprosy, you were there. You've seen my authority over infirmity like when I healed the guy they let down through the roof and the other guy with a withered hand. Still, you are fearful and act as if you have no faith when you're threatened. They were supposed to be learning to trust Jesus in all things. The same lesson has been preserved for us. We are supposed to be learning to trust Jesus in all things. Okay, now I'll go to where all of you expected me to go with this passage. As I said, it's a well-worn path. How are you reacting to the storms in your life? We don't need to be on a quickly sinking boat to become afraid, do we? There's a whole laundry list of things we're afraid of. This persistent ache or pain, am I ever going to feel well again? This new diagnosis, is this actually going to kill me? I don't want to die yet. This lack of money, we really need it, and I don't know where on earth I'm going to get it. My job situation's not looking good. What will I do if I get laid off? What if I lose my job? This mess I've made of my marriage, I can't seem to fix it. This rebellious heart I've discovered in my child, will she walk away? Will he ever come back? We make accusations against Jesus too. Don't you care that this storm is going to ruin me? We mistakenly equate inaction with not caring. We think they go together. They don't. at least not in the situation that Jesus is involved in, because he knows tomorrow. He knows the plan, the whole plan, and how all the parts work together. Something that's going on in your life is going to affect another believer's faith. Are you willing to let the Lord use you? He wants you to bring you into connection with people who need to hear about him. It's not, you all know this. He's not just here to take care of our needs and our wants. Uh Uh-oh. Listen again to what the Lord of... Lord of heaven and earth says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
remember this one, you can say it out loud with me, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, praise God, thank you, Lord. As we think about that night on the water, it's a bit ironic that both the thing they feared, the water, coming into the boat, and the thing they had placed their hope in, the wood that became the boat, they both came into existence by the word of God, by his word. And there he was, standing right in front of them, waiting for them to trust him by faith. Wow. As we've met together this morning, I know we have so many things we're praying for and maybe worrying about. And at the same time, the whole world appears to have lost its collective mind, spinning feverishly out of control. In the midst of this chaos, I believe that God is saying the same thing to each one of us. Peace. Be still. Trust me.